Hey there, and welcome to our podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Now, before we begin, we want to remind you to please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at our church. Thanks again for joining us, and now, enjoy the episode. And uh, that should be uh, the purpose of our living, is to glorify Him. And uh, that's the, what we want to do at, at this time of our service, is to open up uh, God's Word and glorify Him through the preaching of His Word. Not just the preaching of His Word, but the response to the preached word, all right, and in uh, responding to God's word, you know, especially in you know the moment of worship or the moment of preaching, is is not a request the pastor gives to make him feel good about himself, all right. Uh, the the request to respond to God's word is not to build up the ego of the pastor or the or the or the preacher. It, it's simply for you to be obedient to God and please Him. Um, you know, the preacher's task is to preach the Word clearly and step away. That's it. And the, 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 um, uh, the peace in, in, in the spokesman's heart comes from being obedient in declaring the Word. Um, and, but, so the encouragement to, to apply God's Word and respond is for you to be right with God. That's why we're here. That's why we open up God's Word. God's Word is precious. Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, physically or digitally, why don't you raise it up? I don't care what it's on, if it's, it's paper or digitally, raise it up. Ain't that a blessing? Beautiful gift from God. Uh, a translation that we can understand, that we can rely upon, is trustworthy. I'm thankful for uh, God's Word. And uh, we are in a series of, of messages. I don't know if we'll go beyond this message in this series or not. Um, but uh, tonight we are going to continue the thought of God's word is, is what. And uh, tonight we're going to be looking at a wonderful blessing that God's word leads us to. And God's word, if applied, if followed, leads us into his rest. And so that's, what we'll, that's what's going to be the emphasis tonight, is entering God's rest. And we're going to learn that we cannot do that outside of Scripture, outside of His Word. All right? So in Hebrews chapter 4, um, heard this preached a lot, quoted a lot, taught a lot. And I've heard uh, Brother Robert use this passage a lot in uh, uh, his teaching, Brother Randy's preaching. So it shouldn't be new to you. If it is, what a treat. You get to read this for the first time. Uh, but regardless, it's what we need um, to understand about God's word. So Hebrews 4 and verse 11, 12, and 13. Hebrews 4, verse 11, 12, and 13. Now we will back up and get the context of why this is mentioned about God's word. And the context is usually the, the, the before uh, the, what we're reading here. So let's begin reading in verse 11. If you're there, say amen. All right, let's uh, begin. The writer of Hebrews, sometimes we refer to the writer as the author, but 
uh, the, the author is God. So if I use the word author, know that I'm meaning the penman, okay? If I'm mentioning to the author of Hebrews who's writing here, it's the penman. Um, but he's saying here, through the inspiration of, 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 of God, says, let us, um, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul uh, and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is, um, that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. And I pray, Father, just help me. I always am in desperate need of your help and your guidance to put um, all of the pieces together of the message. I rely completely upon you. Um, Father, it is... Father, it is my prayer that we all as believers understand that there is rest available for the Christian life. And I pray that we leave here knowing that outside of Scripture, that if we push Scripture aside or neglect to allow Scripture to be the center of our life, that we are in essence as your people are forsaking the rest that it is faithful to guide us to. And Father, I I pray for the unbeliever as well. The Word of God is guiding them to a rest that's only found in Jesus. Being born again. Receiving the only righteousness that you approve of. There is rest for the soul. But we cannot separate the rest that's available to the, and we cannot separate that from the necessity of Scripture. And I pray that we'll just have a, a, a greater love for your word tonight. Because I believe we've all, for honest, we desire the rest that you provide. Hide me behind the cross. Help me to disappear from the stage. That only, each one only hear your voice. I pray all of this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. How many of you like to feel rested? Or you just like to feel plumb wore out? <laughs> you like to feel rested, yeah. Yeah, I agree. With the two-year-old and one-year-old, you don't, you don't often feel rested. Uh, here lately, I'll tell you, James has worked real hard to make sure Aunt, my, Andy and I walk around like zombies. And, uh, and so, but that, 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 that all goes with children, right? And not, it's not just children that can keep you up at night. There's a lot of things that uh, want to invade and keep you from resting. So we all love rest. I will tell you, we live in the worst culture, I think, probably in the world, to promote good rest. Right? It's just go, 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 go until you drop. And sometimes it's almost like this culture says, now if you go like that, there's a badge of honor for you. Well, that's not a badge you really want. You need to rest. You need rest. God rested. I mean, so God has woven in uh, to um, humanity that need for, for rest. I will say this, that the, even the older that you get, 
you learn that you do need rest, right? Maybe before you thought, I don't need it, I'm invincible. Or you get, yeah, I'd like to take a nap today, you know. Um, it's funny with their, with their kids, um, it's almost, sometimes you've got to fight them to take a nap. I wish somebody would fight with me to help me take a nap. Like, you've got to take a nap or you're, you're in, in trouble. Sure, I'll submit. <laughs> yeah, I'll take a nap. But anyway, we, rest is important physically. I think that point's proven. However, what I want us to learn today is that God is continuing to invite us into a rest that he provides. So, you know, we consider physical rest very important, but spiritual rest is as much or more so important. Okay? We can choose to enter into that rest, or we can choose to walk away from that rest. But let it be known tonight, rest is provided, and this place of rest, this invitation for it is continuing. It, it, it's here. It's, the invitation's open from Christ to enter in, into rest. Um, I will tell you this rest that, um, that I'm speaking of is unique to God alone. This kind of rest. It's unique to Him. There's no one that can provide this kind of rest other than God. It's comparable to none. So if you want true spiritual rest, um, um, don't fear. You can stop looking everywhere else because... Um, God provides this rest, and we learn from it from His Word. And so, um, the rest is unique because it's not a product of our labors. Amen? Oh, how man has tried to find rest through his own efforts and abilities. But as you'll find as you do a little bit of backstory here, a back context of what we've read, God is simply saying that rest cannot be achieved by people. Rest has been achieved by Christ. And has been provided to a people that needs that rest. And we learn of that rest through the word that he's given us. And so I think we begin to understand God's word is a guide to the rest that we need. And we're going to learn that tonight through this. Now, um, this um, God's rest is a perfect rest. And the, the author or the penman, if you will, of Hebrews gives us some examples of God's rest. As you back up into this chapter you'll find some examples of rest, okay? Um, and there is a pursuit of true rest. And so the whole thought here is that labor to stop laboring. All right, labor to stop laboring yourself into rest. In other words, pursue the only one that can give you rest. That's what it means by laboring to rest. In other words, surrender your laboring and trust the one who has labored all that needs to be labored to give you rest. If that makes any sense, that's what we find here uh, Hebrews is dealing with, the book of Hebrews. And here, so when you go back and you look at this fourth chapter, you'll, you'll find that God rested on the seventh day of creation. Okay? Um, going back and, and, and looking at um, chapter 4. Um, God had rested on the seventh day dealing with uh, creation. We find God gave the children of Israel a day of rest called the Sabbath. Okay, Ultimately, we know that God has given us Jesus Christ, the Word, the living Logos, the incarnation of the Word, right, is Jesus, and uh, by which we can enter into that rest. And finally, God has given us the inscribed Word. We, we had the incarnate Word, Right? That we enter into rest, but he has left us with the inscribed word to learn about the rest of God. Okay? 
So this word of God helps us to experience this rest every day. That's the beautiful thing about the rest of God. Is that it's not just something you can enter in on Sunday. That rest is available to enter in and stay in every second of every day. But sometimes we don't do that, do we? We will venture out of that rest and venture into worry and stress and exhaustion and depression. A lot of other things. But the beautiful thing about rest, it's always there because Christ is always there. And again, we learn that from the beautiful Word of God. And so tonight, first thing that I want you to see is this, that if anything that is good from God, anything that God gives is good, and really everything that God gives is good. Why? Because all good things come from above, right? That being true, there's always something down here to prevent you experiencing that good thing. Would you agree? Could be something, could be someone. It's always there to shift your thinking and perspective of where my rest is. Your rest is not in money. Your rest is not in a well-old, you know, small business or whatever. Everything just always working perfectly. Your rest is in a person. His name is Jesus. But there's always a preventer of rest. Now, what you're going to find, I want you to turn back to Psalm, turn to Psalm 95 because Psalm 95 is quoted here. Um, in Hebrews, okay, Psalm 95, so Psalm 95, of course, David uh, speaking here, you look at verses 1 through verse 7, I'm not going to try to exposit all of this psalm, but I just want you to see here the connection between Hebrews, um, um, Hebrews uh, 4 and Psalm 95. And the psalmist says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Right? Make joyful noise. Come before him with thanksgiving. A joyful noise. For the Lord is great. Okay? Um, he, he is, he is, he's strong. He's made uh, the, the dry land. He's made the sea. Come, let us worship. Bow down. Let us kneel before him. He's our God. We are the people of his pasture. Right? And so you find this... This peaceful pursuit, coming to God and being at rest. And notice this, but here is something that can happen that prevents you from experiencing that rest. In verse 8, harden not your heart. Harden not your heart as in the provocation and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my work. Forty days long was I agreed with this generation and said it is a people that do err in their heart. The error always begins in the heart. And they have not known my ways. Unto whom I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. So let me give you a couple of verses. It, it says, as in the provocation. Exodus 17, 2. It's mentioned two, two places, two moments here. And it's also mentioning the wilderness. Exodus 17, 2. Just listen. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide with me? Wherefore do ye tempt um, the Lord? And then he talks about the wilderness. This is also talking about the period in in same chapter in Exodus, in verse 7. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Here is the thing, as you you go back to our text in Hebrews chapter 4, Look at verse 1 through verse 3. You're going to find the issue of the children of Israel not entering into rest. 
And you're going to find the issue of why we don't enter into rest, even as God's people, on a day-to-day basis. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left uh, us of entering into his what? His rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not what? Profit them. Not being mixed with what? Faith. In them that heard it. For we which have believed do what? Enter in. For we which have believed do enter in to rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if, if they shall enter into my rest. What you're finding here is this. The great resistor of rest is unbelief. Because if you don't believe God, is God really here or is not? That's what they said in the wilderness. Is God really here or is he not? You know, is, is, uh, what, is, what, is, what, are the, what is happening there when you make such a statement? It's unbelief. And if you are unbelieving toward God in a certain way, you're simply believing there is no rest there. You are forsaking rest that comes from God. Unbelief is the very thing that prevents you from experiencing rest. Before I was a believer in Christ, I was lost, I was in bondage, I was a son of the devil, I was not in rest. I was in bondage. I was a slave to sin. But the very moment I believed on Jesus, I, I exited the place of un, the, I've exited a place of darkness and blindness and a place of no rest. I entered into the person of perfect rest. Faith always precedes rest. Spiritual rest of being born again, or as the believer, spiritual rest is you know, coming from just trusting God in the moment for the provision, for the, for the answer that you need as a Christian. Trusting Him. And you, and you look, and I'm not going to read all of chapter 4, but as you go back and look, it gives examples. Th- think about this for a second. Joshua led the people of Israel into Canaan, did he not? But he did not lead them into, perfectly into God's rest. Because you find even in Canaan, they continue to rebel against God. Someone that's resting in God will be agreeing with God. Amen? But even in Canaan land, they rebelled. So Joshua led them into the promised land, but he did not lead them into the rest of God. I want to tell you something. You can change geographical locations. You can go from one land of dirt, another place of dirt to the other. But dirt is not what gives you rest. It's God who gives you rest. The God who gave Canaan was where their rest was. But they rebelled against God. Even in Canaan, they they rebelled. Uh, We think about the people when they journeyed across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. Again, they journeyed. They did not journey into rest, but they moved from just one place to the other. Folks, God doesn't want you wandering around like they did in the wilderness. God doesn't want you just going from one place to the other. God wants you to come to him and rest. Why do sometimes why do we wander around as if we don't know where rest is found? Well, stand there with this situation, with this problem, with this stress, with this whatever in our life, and we will wrestle with it and lose sleep as if I just wish I could rest. Have you ever said that? I just wish I could rest. And God's saying, Hello? 
have you read my book? <laughs> are, are, have you trusted my son as your savior? Rest has been with you every moment of the day. But you choose not to enter it. And what prevents you from entering in to his rest? Not having faith. Trusting. That's not, sometimes we use faith as, I'm not using it as a cliche thing. I'm using it as the, 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 what opens the gate into rest. Faith. Trusting God. The whole letter of Hebrews is his purpose to instruct you on how to enter into the Sabbath. And in other words, that true Sabbath rest, in other words, believing in Jesus as Savior. And so the beautiful thing about this is he's been labor to get into that rest, labor to that rest. In other words, labor to quit laboring yourself into it. Quit trying to work your way into a rest. You cannot get there, but trust the one, pursue the one who has a rest for you. Sometimes you've probably blamed somebody from robbing you of rest. If they hadn't have treated me that way, if, if, if that circumstance hadn't happened and it came from them, if, if they just would have acted better, not treated me that way or lied to me or whatever, I could rest tonight. No, they're not the problem. Human flesh is not the problem. It's your lack of faith in trusting God. That's what God's Word's telling us. So I, want, I just want you to see that. Folks, there's no more trying to prove our righteousness as, you know, that, that are unbelievers. Christ has proved righteousness already. We are just to receive it. The gospel is rest. Amen? Um, the gospel is rest. That's what it is. So if this rest is truly there, if... If it is available and, 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 and God has provided it, who is my guide to that rest? Well, I had, you, oh, I had you hold up a copy of God's Word, did I not? This book is the guidepost guiding you to that place of rest all the time. God's Word is our guide, our guide to God's rest and I can say that on, on not just the authority of my word, because my word's not worth much. But I can tell you that on the authority of God's word itself. God's word is the official guide to the rest of God. How can I say that? We've learned this already in this series. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is the God-breathed Word, the living Word. This is the living Word, amen, to bring you to new life. This is the living Word to those that are living in Christ. It is the guide for every soul into the rest that every soul needs. That's what it is. The object of our faith is literally God's Word. We need to trust God's Word. To trust God's Word, you know what that's equivalent to? Trusting God. It's one and the same. It's one and the same. So, the role of God's Word is where we get into these two verses that we all know pretty well. We, we probably can quote them by heart. Verses 12 and verse 13. Here's the role of God's Word. Rest has been made available. That's the context of verses 12 and verse 13. There is a guide. There is a, there is a role of God's Word. It is a necessary uh, uh, role for us 
to be at rest every day. And so let's shine some clarity here in verse 12. It says, for the word of God, and it goes on to explain what it does and what its role is. Now, we may just want to accredit this to being the inscribed word, what the word uh, written on, 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 on parchment, on paper, if you will. Sometimes we may just want to ascribe it just to the inscribed word. But dear friend, I don't think we can say that when we, when we talk about the word of God. I believe it's talking about the word in the full sense of the term. Because you cannot talk about the word of God and not also talk about the Word of God, which is at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ. He is the living Logos. This is the inscribed Logos. It's the Word of God. So the Word of God, um, here we find it says, that is, is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Um, now, with any good conclusion about God's Word, there's some bad ones. Amen. There, there's some wrong perspectives of God's Word, and there's some right ones. Now, let me just say something that's very prevalent today, and I don't want you to miss this. This is something that's going on in church culture today, and it is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing to adopt. The wrong conclusion about our need for God's Word is this. Some churches are being led in such a way, they'll say this. I don't need theology nor the Bible. All we need is Jesus. That's very popular today. But dear friend, can you, can you at all ever divide or divorce Jesus from Scripture? Absolutely not. They are essentially, in one sense, they are the same. They are the Word. Amen? You cannot divorce the, the, the incarnation from the inscription. The, the, it is the Word of God. All I need is Jesus. Yes, you need all of His Word. But some wants to try, try to lead church and worship and spiritual growth and discipleship. Just saying, all we need is Jesus. We don't need the Bible because there's theology there. There's things about God. We just don't want to dive into that, dear friend. Theology about God is where we find rest, learning who God is. Do we not understand that? We cannot divorce Jesus from Scripture. Let me ask you a question. It's a very simple question. From what other source can we learn about Jesus and the rest he has provided? What other source can we get specific revelation about Jesus, trustworthy revelation about Jesus and the rest that he provides? Where else can we look other than Scripture. Nowhere. Oh, yes, we've got general revelation. We have creation. We have, the, we have what's above us and below us and around us. Yes, I get that. And God's Word tells us about that. But it takes the specific revelation to say, Jesus is the Savior. He paid your debt. You're dead in your sins. You need Jesus. Trust Him as Savior. Be born again. You cannot learn that without this book. God's Word is our guide to rest. It's our guide to Jesus. You cannot have Jesus without the witness 
of the Bible. Have we not seen an example of that this morning as Lakin followed in scriptural baptism? What brought his heart to understand I am a sinner and I need Jesus? It was, I know that Miss Tori and others taught, they were vessels, they were spokesmen of what? The Word. The Word. The living Word. So we look at these characteristics of God's Word, and it says here that it is, in verse 12, it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So notice this, really. Notice this the, t- the first two things. It's quick and powerful. You could also say this. It's living and it's effective. It's living and it's effective. The amazing thing about this book is the fact that I know that the God of this book is a living God. He's the true living God. You know what that also tells me about His Word? It means it's the true living Word. The reason it is quick, it's, it's, it's living, the reason it's powerful or it's effective, because the God and the author of this book is, is, is living and powerful and effective. That's why this book is different than any other book, and we cannot divorce it. From the faith is where we learn of the faith. We think about the powerfulness, the effectiveness, the effectiveness of it. Listen, you, one, of the, one of the greatest examples of the effectiveness of God's Word, go back to the book of beginnings, the book of creation. How did God create all that we see today? He spoke it into existence. That is the Word of God. Whether you talk about Him verbally speaking, or whether you talk about Christ coming down and incarnate, or whether you talk about it being inscribed on parchment or on paper, or the translation that we have today, dear friend, folks, the Word of God is living. The Word of God is powerful. It's powerful. Since Scripture is God's Word, it is therefore alive and life Giving. Let me give you a verse of scripture, Isaiah 55 and verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. But it sh- Listen, you are to get excited about this. All you that are saved are to praise God for what God's, the nature of God's word here. It says, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Can I tell you something? The reason I can stand here today and say I am saved and sealed and ready to be caught home is because this word did the work it was sent to do. Now, I had to not harden my heart. Remember what we just read a minute ago? Harden not your heart or you will will forsake the rest that God has provided. Do not harden your heart. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. The Word of God will do the work that you desperately need, but you, my friend, must not harden your heart, and you, my friend, must yield your heart to the Word. And man, I'll tell you this, 23 years now, I've never been the same, because this Word of God is living and it's effective. Amen? To the lost soul and to the saved soul, it is an effective Word. Now it comes to this portion here where it says sharper than any two-edged sword. And you think about a sword, you, you, one of its purposes is to penetrate. All right? To penetrate uh, something. In other words, really, specifically speaking, to penetrate the opponent. I'll tell you right now, uh, for you that are believers, the opponent 
in your life? Is the sin that you are maybe harboring or, or warming up to? Uh, some of the things that you're allowing into your life, allowing inside of you that you're welcoming in, it's coming to penetrate and divide, but for healthy reasons. But when I think about you know, penetrating the opponent, it really speaks to how invasive God's Word really is. Just sort of a humorous illustration, I was thinking about this. You ever had somebody in your family that's just one of the nosiest people in the world? Anybody have any people like that? You don't have to mention names, but I sense some of you have them. Or maybe a friend, they're just nosy. You don't matter where they are, they know your business. It, like their, their nose can reach from county to county. I don't know how they do it, but they do it. They're very invasive people. And they're not doing it for any good or your benefit. They're doing it for their own, you know, they need some, some material to gossip about, you know, to the, you know, the lunch or the breakfast they go to the next day. I don't know. But people are nosy and can be irritating. God is nosy, but God is invasive. God is invasive with his word for your health spiritually. That is, that is the nature of God. This is why we understand it is a living word. And I'll say this, something that you realize very quickly when you're reading God's word, it's amazing. Have you ever picked up God's word and you just start reading? And it's not even that you're like, I'm going through this, so I need to find where this is mentioned in Scripture and start reading about it. You just picked up, picked up where he left off, and it's just amazing how oftentimes you end up at a Scripture that really cuts you, penetrates that part of your life that you're dealing with right now. Has it ever done that? It doesn't have to be like that. You could just go to a place where it speaks about that issue of your life, and it penetrates you. It truly does. Or maybe you have... You have been under preaching, and you've not talked to whether it's the pastor or the guest speaker or the evangelist. You've not spoken to them about the issue that you're going through or the sin that you're loving a little too much. But it's just amazing that right out of the gate or maybe midway through at the end of the sermon, the Word of God has penetrated that particular point in your life. I mean, it's just cut. You know what you learn? Going back to you just reading God's Word. You find out it's not as much about you reading God's Word, it's God's Word reading you. This, works, this Word is living. And it reads you as much as you read it. That's the why you need to... You need to ask yourself the question, where does God's Word rank in my life? I'll tell you this right now. I, I appreciate friends in my life, true friends that will tell me that, hey, you're, you're making a mistake. You, you need to turn away from that. Friends that will be honest, the wounds of a friend, right, are valuable. The Bible tells us about that. Can I tell you this? The Word of God will always tell you where you're messing up. This right here is going to be one of your, 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 probably your greatest friend in your life. Jesus is what? He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's the incarnate Word. Here's the inscribed Word. You can't separate Him. Here's your best friend. Now, it'll cut you. It'll pierce you. But it pierces with precision. People like, it's not like Peter. <laughs> the Bible talks about how Peter wielded the sword. That's not how this sword is, is wielded by the Spirit. Peter took the sword and, and he, he wielded it out of emotion to cut some guy's ear off. 
He, he was reckless. But the Spirit of God uses God's Word to penetrate and cut and divide with absolute divine precision. Divine precision. It, it talks, and, and when I think about when I, when I read God's Word, it's like God performing, taking a scalpel and performing surgery on me. You, everybody, you, ever, you ever felt like that? Surgery is happening. Um. Sometimes try, people will try to explain what's the difference in the soul and the spirit. And you know, sometimes you know, people maybe explain it well or not. But um, I will tell you this. The Word of God knows how to divide. It talks about the soul and the spirit to, to, to divide there. It knows where the difference is. It knows where to divide. It knows what to cut away. When I think about people going in for cancer surgery, one of the reports that you want to hear is this, that there was clean margins. That where they cut was right where it needed to be cut. And there was nothing that was cancerous, right, or harmful was left. Nothing was left. It, it got it all. Got it all. They got it all. Nothing was a clean margins. Can I tell you this? The Word of God knows how to leave clean margins in you spiritually. It knows. I'm trying to sell this to say this. You cannot, you, you have to have God's Word prevalent in your life daily. Where does God's word rank in your life? Because you're going to find that God's word actually allows you to see, lastly, a true reflection of you. Okay? So as you come on down to verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So the, the, the writer of Hebrews is segueing from the, the word of God to the God of the word here. But God uses his word to display you nakedly as you are. No one can uh, get out of the way of being seen how they truly are before God. But listen, God wants you to see as you truly are. The only way that we can draw closer to him, become more true to him, the only way we know how to root deeper into him or, or any of those things, we have to know where we are right now. And the Word of God does that for us. The Word of God is our judge. Judge now, it's a, it gives us discernment. It'll be our judge when we go to, to the judgment seat of Christ. Or those that are lost in the great white throne of judgment, this Word judges them. But use this Word, dear friend, to see who you are and who God wants you to be. You can't do that without the Word of God. I will say this, the greatest desire of the believer, and I, I hope this is for all of you are believers, but this should be your greatest desire, is to, is to obey the life giver, Jesus Christ. Because you'll, you'll find that, that it, um, it, it tells us here that we've already, we already read this, that we will not make the same mistake as Israel did in their example of disobedience. They did not trust God. They did not trust His Word. Are we making that same mistake? It could be with your marriage, could be with your children, could be with your finances, could be with just decision making. I don't know what it is in your life, but are you allowing God's word to, to guide you to being obedient and not disobedient? God's, what, does God word, what does God's word guide us to? Now I'll leave you with this. God's word guides you to trust him and find full satisfaction in Him. 
We live in, in, in a world today. Paul lived in He said, I had to learn to be content. Right? I've learned in all things to be content. I've had to learn that. And we learn that from God's word. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Talking about you want the blessed, rest, restful life? Be content with the fullness of Jesus. And that's where this book guides us to. It always guides us to one person. It guides you away from you, and it guides you to Christ. I don't care if you're lost. I don't care if you're saved. There's always one person this word guides you to. That's why it needs to penetrate. That's why it needs to cut. That's why it needs to discern your intents of your heart and just lay you open, bare, and naked so you see where you are and what Christ wants to do for you. What a beautiful book we have called the Word of God. The Word of God ultimately reveals the truth about Jesus. Albert Moeller said this. I'll just give you a quote. He said, If we are to become like the incarnate Word, we must study the inscribed Word. So let me ask you a question. Dear Christian, we'll start with you. Where does this book rank in your life? Truly, where does this, maybe when you got saved, you're excited about, hey, I'm going to get in God's word. I love God. He saved me. He, he's, 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 he sealed me. He provides my provider. He's my friend. I just, I'm excited about being born again. I'm excited about being his child. I want to get in his book. But you have waned over the years. You've, well, if I get time. You ever said that? Well, if I get time. Dear friend, you, you make time for the things that are important. And dear friend, if this, if this word was important to lead you to Christ, to be his child, it's just as important to lead you to be his faithful servant. Where does this book rank in your life tonight? Does it stay in your pew or does it go home with you? Does it just lay on your coffee table or does it get opened? Where does this rank? Wherever this ranks in your life is where he ranks in your life. God's word is necessary for the unbeliever. It's necessary for the believer because this book is guiding us, guiding us to the rest that God has provided through Jesus. The question is, do you want to rest? At the beginning of this message, you said you cared about rest, but that was physical. I'm asking you, do you care about being in spiritual rest tonight? To the unbeliever and to the believer. Unbeliever, quit trying to build your way to heaven. You can't do it. Christ has done the work of righteousness. Run to him. Confess him. Trust him. Be born again. Believer, don't forget about the rest your Savior has already provided for you and you've had since the day you were born again. Quit running from it. Draw nigh to him. He will draw nigh to you. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. And guess what? You can rest. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment.